All right, welcome back to Mike Farrell Sports. My name is Adam Eaton, and the godfather of recruiting is with me again for another week, Mr. Mike Farrell. Mike, how are you, my friend? Good. Um, we're not going to talk a lot of recruiting today, but the impact of what we are going to talk about is going to really, really impact recruiting across football. It's going to impact a lot of stuff, Mike, and, and most importantly, it's going to impact the, the viewers who are watching this on YouTube. You've got the new background in place now for a couple of weeks. We had seen any number of soda cans and other uh, other beverages behind you, but we've got the full background behind you. Now, this thing looks pretty legit, Mike. Still got dog food back there, and I haven't put a lot of stuff in the cabinet. So the helmets are coming, and you got Flutie over my shoulder. As long as Flutie is over my shoulder, all is good. That's a, that's a good tenant to live by, Mike. And we might need Flutie over a lot of shoulders right now because the college football landscape has completely turned on its head. News broke late this week. USC, UCLA, uh, now official to the Big Ten. Nothing says Big Ten football like UCLA and Iowa battling out on a Saturday at 11 a.m. in the snow, Mike. But uh, I guess first off, there's so much to get into here. I don't, I don't know where we'll start, but your reaction when you heard UCLA, USC to the Big Ten, your first thought was what? Well, I thought TV, you know, I thought sure. obviously Fox, um, you know, the, the move Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC was, you know, a lot of people feel that was generated by ESPN. And uh, obviously you have to counter in TV markets. This isn't cable boxes anymore that we're talking about, but it is audience, it's money, it's NIL, it's attractive places uh, for your programs to play football. Uh, but it's also, you know, a complete disregard to all the garbage we've heard about student athletes. And, you know, we care about them and we don't want to spend a playoff because that will put too much tax, you know, on, on their academics and all this big 10 with their haughty toddy, you know, Oh, we're the Ivy league of, you know, power five football, <laughs> all that garbage. Okay. Tell me, tell me what the, the, UCLA volleyball team is going to look like flying back from Piscataway to LA, you know, after a game. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that this isn't about money. So Fox is the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that comes to mind is Lincoln Riley. And, and there was a report that he didn't know this. Of course he knew this. Um, mm. This has been known and rumored, not, not reportable rumors, just rumors, just like what I'm hearing now about, you know, Washington and Oregon and Notre Dame and all the others uh, since the end of last season. So Lincoln Riley knew he knew this was going to happen. Um, it was a very good secret that he kept because he got bashed so much for running from the SEC. Uh, but, you know, those are the things that come to mind. And I, I really don't know. We know one of these teams is not going to be successful. Look at the history of conference editions. You know, the Nebraskas of the world. Um, you know, Missouri had had success at the start of the SEC and, and they've fallen off. Texas A&M never really had success. Miami, uh, Virginia Tech, you know, supposed to be coming from the Big East and make the ACC a dominant, dominant conference. And, and both of them have been massive disappointments. So one of one or both of these teams is going to be extremely unsuccessful. And the other thing you have to look at is how are they going to get closer to these teams? The, the Big Ten's not done. So I looked at it immediately. Contiguous states is a big thing in the Big Ten. I don't know why it's stupid, but it's one of those things. So you look at the map and you go Colorado, Utah, into Arizona. Um, and I think that's the next logical step would be those programs. But Oregon and Washington want to be there. 
Um, Notre Dame is what Big Ten has wanted forever. My prediction is Notre Dame will say no. I, we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then they'll probably take Oregon and Washington if they do want to be there. And then maybe add those other four teams from the Pac-12 to keep the contiguous states and make that travel a little bit better. So you have UCLA and UCLA able to go up to Oregon and Washington or into Arizona and not have to play you know that often across the country because right now you know whatever division usc and ucla are going to be their their closest opponent is colorado uh and not colorado uh, is nebraska and that's it's not close well you mentioned you know rumors and whatnot a lot of folks felt like this came out of left field right came out of nowhere but if you've been following this along the interesting thing about this was the big 10 contract for tv was up in may and then you heard nothing. You heard nothing for weeks and months. Nothing was going on. All of a sudden, boom, this drops this week. You can easily connect the dominoes there between that contract, Fox, and what they want to do and how these dominoes fell, correct? I mean, that's a that's a direct correlation in your mind? Yeah. And, and it, originally, I thought it would be, you know, sort of a, 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 a rumor or at least something planted to help the negotiations themselves. But right. it's clear that this has already been in place. You know, I mean... This isn't something that happened, you know, today's, today's Saturday we're recording. I think this was announced Thursday. This didn't happen Wednesday. You know, this has <laughs> sure. been in the works for a very, very long time. Uh, the Big Ten chancellors and, and the powers that be there know exactly what they're doing. USC and UCLA knew this long before, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley was hired at USC uh, long before. The interesting part about this is the coalition. That intrigues me a lot because, you know, the Big Ten in a panic move decided to have a coalition because the SEC was expanding. And oh, the, the alliance, you mean? The alliance. I'm sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. Coalition, alliance. I can't wait for that 30 for 30 in the alliance and how that I, broke down. I don't really know how that works because the Pac-12 <laughs> got a new, obviously, they, they, they got a new commissioner. And this is not a thing the Pac-12 wanted at all whatsoever. I mean, it just guts their league and and they're, you know, pretty much on life support similar to the Big 12, uh, probably in worse shape than the Big 12, actually, you know, because the Big 12 at least got replacements. Uh, but both of those conferences are going to sink. Uh, we're heading towards mega conferences. We're probably headed towards two. But, you know, again, I've heard the ACC is making, you know, some some they're reaching out to some programs, perhaps some academic-based programs out west uh, mm -hmm. to try to stay in the hunt here. But the interest for most programs is going to be in the SEC and the Big Ten because the TV money is so far above everybody else in the Power Five. So that's what we're going to have. We're probably going to have Big Ten, SEC, probably renamed. Uh, no tradition. You know, the Rose Bowl tradition's dead. Um, yeah. and, and all of the traditional things that we come accustomed to over the years, you know, people were upset in the mid two thousands when Nebraska, you know, left the big 12 and, and left behind some amazing rivalries or Texas A&M, you know, didn't, didn't come to the sec with Texas and all this other stuff. All the tradition of college football is out the window with NIL, the portal, uh, and now realignment. It's just going to be a completely different sport. One more, and we'll get to each conference specifically. But so the other Pac-12 teams blindsided by this announcement, in your opinion? I think they had a feeling that mm. this was going to happen. I think there was an attempt. Well, I know there was an attempt to try to stop it. Um, the biggest issue was for USC and UCLA to stay. They wanted a huge, huge part of the revenue for the TV deal. 
that the Pac-12 has, um, which isn't a great TV deal anyways. And they're like, listen, we can make more money elsewhere. You better give us 70% or 60% or whatever of, of you know our conference revenue. That was not going to fly with everybody else. No one can agree upon that. Um, so there was really no justification for them to stay. And I think the other programs kind of knew it. Um, and I guarantee you there's been discussions that we haven't heard about you know, between some of these programs. It's not like this hit Thursday and then Oregon and Washington just decided to reach out to the Big Ten the next day out of panic. Uh, teams have been positioning themselves. And just like the early 2000s, mid 2000s, you know, when you had a lot of the rumors and a lot of the shifting and a lot of the programs that had to make moves, um, you're going to see teams panic. Uh, and, and you're going to see teams like West Virginia almost not find a home. Uh, and that's what's going to be curious about each Power Five conference now is like who's going to be left out of this. Well, let's go to the Big Ten. You said they're they're not done, right? So the you know the the, the prom date everybody always wants is Notre Dame, right? Yep. I think that's the first team that you mentioned that they ask, right? Then Washington, Oregon, handicap out any of those three programs that you think actually realistically make a jump to the Big Ten. I think Washington and Oregon would, and I think academically, I think based on historical success and, and, and you know, in somewhat recent success, Washington went to the playoff. Oregon's been successful recently. They, they fit, you know, Rutgers and Maryland were two additions based on cable boxes and, and the contiguous state stuff, and they were a disaster. I mean, they were an absolute embarrassment to come into the Big Ten. You had this the scandal at, at Maryland with, with, you know, head coaches, you first had Randy Edsel running people off. Then you had, you know, uh, accusations of DJ Durkin. Yeah. Yeah. Just abuse yeah. and, 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 you know, somebody passing away and, and Rutgers with their, you know, ever shifting athletic department with also, um, you know, some basketball issues and just a lot of embarrassment came with those two teams. Right. So the big 10 is going to be a little bit more picky. Uh, I think moving forward, they wanted the New York TV market. They wanted the DC TV market. So they were able to, you know, overlook the fact that neither of those teams had any sort of real tradition in football. Uh, but now they're going to be a little bit more careful about that because, again, this is about streaming. It's not about cable boxes. And Oregon and Washington fit the bill. Oregon State, Washington State do not. So, you know, but here's where we're going to get into the politics of it all. Back when we were doing conference realignment in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, you had teams like Virginia go to bat for Virginia Tech to get them into the ACC, and it got to a political level, you know, mm. um, and it got to a point where it's like, okay, we're not going to vote for expansion for these particular teams unless you include the team we want. Um, so the Big Ten, you know, as a group has to agree upon these programs. I think Washington and Oregon are two that they would. Like I said, I think Notre Dame says no um, because they don't have to say yes. They can wait till how all this shakes out. They're still the hot girl that's always going to get asked out to the prom. And they can wait until to see how it shakes out, see what the ACC does, see, see where the best fit for them is. Right now, Notre Dame doesn't need uh, to jump in, but Washington and Oregon certainly do. Big 12 then is probably next, right? A brand new commissioner, Brett Yormark, gets announced this week. He doesn't take official reins until August 1, but I imagine that his first week on the job was a lot different than he expected it to be. Obviously, there's two options here. I mean, you read a lot about what Bowlesby used to say about the Big 12, which was they played a lot of defense, not a lot of offense. They have a chance to play offense now. 
do they try to get in there and take some schools from the from the Pac-12? Does the Pac-12 take their schools? How does the Big 12 sort of now play with all of this movement going around? So you've got two new commissioners, obviously, in both of those Power Five conferences and two very, very smart individuals. And, and the Big 12 was never aggressive. They always were reactionary and they always lost out. Um, and, and from what I've heard, there was rumors originally of the Colorado, Utah, Arizona State, Arizona talk. And then that was refuted. Um, I think they are certainly looking to add more teams. They're certainly going after Pac-12 teams. But I think Pac-12 teams are coming after Big 12 teams. It wouldn't shock me at all to see some sort of, I'm going to call this one a coalition, not an alliance, but I'll call this a coalition, where they just say, listen, we know one of us is going to go. One of us is on the chopping block. Let's get together and let's make one big conference between the two of them. Now, again, the logistics of all of that and the travel and the academic, you know, uh, you know, fit, all of that stuff needs to be worked out as well. Because, again, you don't want kids traveling from uh, Cal to West Virginia. You, you just yeah. you don't now. Again, the Big 12 has a geographically better situation and, and, and you know, to get to the Pac-12 and it would make much more sense. Uh, so I think those discussions are occurring. Um, they're either going to have to work together or they're going to both die separately. Uh, but egos are egos. New commissioners may be good and may be bad. Um, but right now, the Big 12 has not been aggressive. That's what I've been told. But if, if Washington and Oregon stay in the Pac-12, that, does that put them in a better power position to try to then sort of, you know, coup the Big 12 schools versus if Washington and Oregon leave, does that then put the Big 12 in, in the better power position to take those other schools? Because in theory, some would say the Pac-12 crumbles a little bit without those four schools, U, UCLA, USC, Oregon, Washington. Yeah, and it wouldn't shock me, too, to see some sort of academic um, alliance occur here in some way shape or form but yeah without oregon and washington the pac-12 has no power i mean you know they're two they're two la market teams especially usc i mean that's just the linchpin it's almost like texas and oklahoma texas is still texas i don't care if oklahoma's had more success recently texas is what led teams to leave the, the big 12 texas was the reason why the sec came after both of them you know if oklahoma said we're coming but texas said no they wouldn't have, you know, done this deal. Um, you know, so when you have USC leading the charge and they're gone and, and UCLA goes with them as a partner, you have to keep Oregon and Washington. Um, so let's say Oregon and Washington go. Then, then I think you start to see Cal and Stanford, who are obviously tremendous academic institutions, maybe try to start something of their own with, and I know it's all about money, so this mm. wouldn't happen. You know, Northwestern's not going to leave the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, Vanderbilt's sure. not going to leave the SEC to, to create an academic. But if there's some teams left out, let's say the Dukes of the world and the Boston Colleges of the world who have tremendous academics, but they're left out of this whole musical chair situation, then they would probably try to form their own conference. But again, logistically, you don't want, you know, North Carolina and, 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 and Boston, Massachusetts heading out to Cal and Stanford in a, in a perfect world. You know, what's looked at geographically is not as important anymore. 
but it honestly really is <clears throat> to the academic schools. I mean, I'm sure Northwestern had a question about what the heck is the plan in the future, because this is a team that's almost unionized. This is a very, very sure. tremendous academic program. And they're probably like, okay, yeah, I get it. We're going to make a lot more money with USC and UCLA, but we really care about academics. We care about our students and Notre Dame is the same way. I mean, they want to go into a situation where it's going to be best for them as a university, not just as a football program. So there's definitely another plan in place here. Um, Oregon and Washington are the linchpins, so to speak, for the Pac-12. If they fall, then there's nothing left. There's just one leg left on the chair and it's just going to crumble. Um, what I was surprised at, though, and I don't know if any of this is accurate, right? But, you know, if Washington and Oregon came to me and I'm the Big Ten and said, I want to join, I would say yes. Sure. I wouldn't hold them off for Notre Dame because Notre Dame, first of all, gives you an odd number and it also is great. You want Notre Dame. But you don't turn down two tremendous programs that could really uh, continue your success on the West Coast and help your travel situation um, and bring more market to your to your conference. So I really don't think that Washington and Oregon have been told no. I can't imagine that. I think there's just a lot of people sort of waiting and seeing and having discussions as to what their best fit's going to be and waiting to see what's going to happen to the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Let's take the Big 12 for a quick second. They obviously just brought over four schools after Texas, Oklahoma left, so Houston, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati. Now they're in this interesting sort of purgatory situation, right, where they thought they were in. Now things have changed. Do you see a scenario where those four schools either get boxed out, get shifted around, or do you think they're solid in the Big 12? I think they're solid, and I think the other thing that we we learned from from the mid two thousands is that there's no need to panic. There was a lot of panic. There was so much panic back then, you know. And the teams left out. The teams, you know. Now again, the Yukons of the world that were left out died a horrible death, and that's just life. They tried to cling on to other programs, but they were so they're in no TV market. They had no fan base. Blah blah blah. But the UCFs of the world, Houston, has a ton of money, tons of money. Um, you know, Cincinnati has a lot of cachet in the Midwest. Uh, these teams are going to be fine. Um, the intriguing part of it is, you know, back then, if you were left out of the Power Five shuffle, right, and you're a group of five team, back then it was thought to be a death sentence. Nobody's going to yeah. care. But now people care. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see a shrink, but then eventually we're going to see an expansion. So if I'm UCF or if I'm Cincinnati or Houston or BYU, I'm looking BYU is a little different because they're an independent, right? But I'm leaving a conference and one of those three teams and I'm going to the Big 12 and the Big 12 is on life support uh, already prior to this and they could be even worse. I'm okay. As long as you have donors, hmm. a fan base, and you're relevant in the world of college football, and Cincinnati made the playoff. Houston's got more money than God backing them. UCF has the biggest alumni base out there. You're going to be okay. You're going to find a spot. Even if it's not in one of the two mega conferences or three mega conferences, there's no way in this inclusionary world we live in where those programs aren't going to be included in some way. There might be. Let's say there's two mega conferences. There might be a play-in 
situation, you know, similar to basketball, but bigger where teams that aren't in the two mega conferences get an opportunity to go up against those, those big teams in the playoff. So I'm not worried if I'm those teams, Um, you know, I I think you, you have your big 12 home and if that doesn't pan out, you're going to be fine. Well, you know how these things work, Mike. Uh, there's move, then there's counter move. So is the SEC now done? Do they now say, okay, Big Ten, we see what you've got here. We see what you're doing. We're going to do something next to Do you expect the SEC to respond, go into the ACC, maybe try to take a school or two from there? You know, Do, do you see any response from the SEC now? Yeah, I, they're not done. I mean, they're just too smart and too – this is Pepsi versus Coke, right? So I, yeah. I, think, I think the SEC is Coke. You know, Coca-Cola is a big one or McDonald's, Burger King, whatever you want to say. The big one is the SEC, right? They made the first move with uh, Texas and, and Oklahoma. Um, they've got other moves in, in store. One of the things I heard uh, that both uh, are targeting, but more so the SEC, is perhaps a move at Georgia Tech, at Clemson, at Oklahoma State. Um, and who was the other one? How could I forget the other one? It wasn't Florida State or Miami. South Carolina? No, they're in the it was a non-SEC program that they were going to try to uh, put together with a rival. So Georgia Tech with Georgia. Um, you, you've obviously got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, um, Clemson and South Carolina. Oh, Louisville. Louisville and Kentucky. So th- there was some talk of that because that would really keep one of the things that we're getting away from more and more in college football are rivalries, right? Natural rivalries. Uh, Georgia Tech, Georgia is not a great rivalry. I mean, Georgia recruits better. They beat them every year. Uh, Louisville and Kentucky, though, is a legitimate rivalry in that state. And and honestly, people care a lot about the Clemson-South Carolina game, even though Clemson's been much more successful. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma with Bedlam, huge. So you think about Texas, Texas A&M's there. So they don't really need a partner, Um, you know, but Oklahoma does. And, you know, Oklahoma, Texas is thought to be the big rivalry, but Oklahoma State is is a huge one. Um, That's one rumor. The Big Ten wanting to get into the southeast is another. And and who who is who is that school in the southeast that you think they would target that Georgia Tech's another one, too. Yeah, I okay. think I think Georgia Tech's in a really good situation here, honestly, because they're an academic team and they're in the heart of the southeast. Now, Florida State and Miami are the big fish that you would think about. Right. That just makes sense. But the problem is that the people in Gainesville are not going to vote or say yes to both of those teams. They may say yes to one is doubtful, maybe to keep a rivalry going. You know, Florida, Miami would be pretty cool. Florida, Florida State would be pretty cool, but not both. Um, so that that leads to decisions, whereas for Georgia Tech, there's no decision. You know, I mean, they're uh, they're in Atlanta, huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge TV market. NIL is important. Atlanta could really, really boost, um, you know, the NIL uh, thumbprint of any conference. And they're a good academic school, which is supposedly important to the Big Ten. Um, so that's one of the schools that I've heard the Big Ten could go after. But this isn't done. This is just the beginning, um, you know. You could end up looking at which which TV markets, like ESPN, who are they tied to? You know, who's Fox tied to? That's what it's going to come down to. 
you know, Fox isn't going to let one of their Fox programs go to an ESPN. It's all about TV. So the, they should actually be called instead of the Big Ten, the SEC, it should be ESPN and Fox. Because those are the two bigger players here and the ones making all the money and the billions. And that's what led to NIL. It's what's led to the transfer portal. And it's what led to realignment. And, and that's what we're going to see here. So you put those together and you try to figure out, you know, which would be the best fit for those broadcast uh, giants. Um, and then you wait and see if another broadcast giant tries to jump in here like an Amazon or somebody like that. So there's a lot of intriguing. Now, the ACC has a TV deal till what, 2036. Just, but yep. you can get out of anything. You can get well, out that's of anything. An e well, that's, that's an ESPN deal, right? Though. So would, do you think ESPN would let them jump basically within the family of networks to SEC, who ESPN owns here in the next what season or season and a half? Yeah. I mean, they, and again, they wouldn't want them jumping to the Big Ten because that would be a disaster. So, you know, all these decisions are being played out at the presidential level at universities, but also in the boardrooms at these, you know, media giants. So, you know, that that's it. I mean, we're going to have to see what this SEC deal is, uh, you know, when that comes up with that renegotiation, there will be a renegotiation in the ACC. There'll be a renegotiation in the Big Ten. All of this stuff is going to be posturing. And it's just like contracts in the NFL. I mean, you can have a guaranteed contract where you signed it two years ago and you're guaranteed this amount of money, but you just had two blockbuster seasons and you're going to hold out. Now, you have no right to hold out. You sign that deal, but you hold all the power and all the cards, um, and, and that's what you're going to do. So you see the Debo's, Samuels of the world, and mm. A.J. Brown's of the world looking for new deals prior to their other one being up, and you think, well, that's impossible, you know. But the Titans and 49ers can't afford to lose that capital, so right. they have to do it, or they have to move them, and that's what a lot of this team shuffling is going to be as well. Well, similar to the you know Pac-12, the the Big 12, do you see the ACC going on the offensive at all and trying to recruit folks to the ACC to try to? Because essentially, it sounds like what we're saying here, Mike, is is SEC, Big Big Ten are going to be the top two dominoes, right? And the other three conferences are really just kind of dog eat dog at this point. Who can who can come out with the biggest play? Do you see the ACC trying to jump in and say, hey, we've got a weakened Pac-12, we've got an uncertain Big 12? Do they try to get into the mix and fortify themselves as the third conference and that sort of power structure? They have to. I do. Um, you know, I believe that has to happen. The 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 issue is, do they have the leadership to do that? Um, you know, I think under Swafford, that was they were very aggressive the last time, you know, uh, when they went after uh, obviously went after Virginia Tech and, and they went after Miami and they went after BC for the TV market and they were aggressive and continued to be aggressive with Syracuse and Pitt and some others. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the leadership like is in the ACC, because also with that, they signed a really bad TV deal. Yeah. Not a good one at all. And you do not sign any sort of deal till 2036. That's just stupid because of the changing landscape of everything. I mean, listen, if, if somebody offered me a deal right now for a billion dollars to 2036, I'd probably take it, right? <laughs> But I, as a conference, you can't lock yourself into a TV deal for 14, you know, or 16 years or whatever. So I'm not sure about the leadership of the ACC. I'm not overly confident in the fact that they could be good enough, smart enough to outthink the Big Ten and the SEC, who have really played chess while everybody else is playing checkers. So if you're at home and you're watching this play out, what's the next move that you are watching 
that you think will tell you sort of how this goes? Is it the Notre Dame decision? Is it Washington, Oregon? What's the next sort of move that that fans and college football sort of folks should be watching to kind of figure out maybe where this thing shakes out? I think it's the Big 12, Pac-12. you got to watch them because Notre Dame probably say no, and if they do say no, it might not be public, or if it is public, it's like not right now. Um, I don't see a big shift. If Notre Dame says yes to the Big Ten, then just chaos is going to occur because the SEC is going to be really, really threatened by that and upset by that, um, and the ACC is going to lose their mind. And they're going to be threatened by it. And it's going to cause a lot of panic moves. But if Notre Dame says no, which they've said like 58 times to the Big Ten, and they don't need to say yes right now, then you watch that Pac-12, Big 12. You watch to see programs, you know, Oregon and Washington are great programs. You know, East Coast people don't really care about them that much. You know, there's a, that late night game that you get your fix on at, but they haven't really been, you know, Oregon with Chip Kelly was – was fun and they got to the national title game and Washington made a playoffs and got trounced, but they haven't really been a threat in college football, but teams that are a lesser threat than that are the teams to watch. Utah won the PAC 12 last year, but nobody really yeah. thinks about them. Colorado, nobody thinks about whatsoever. It's been forever since Colorado has been really, really good. Arizona and Arizona state. You think about, you're like, Oh geez, Jed fish one and 11. They're horrible. Arizona state, Herm Edwards under fire, staffing those teams don't matter but they matter here and so those are the four teams that i would watch other than oregon and washington it's a bigger picture question i guess you, you can answer this two ways as a journalist and as a fan is all of this good for the sport? You've seen people out there saying that this essentially, this is the quiet part out loud. We've always known that money ruled the, ruled the day, but here we are, two power conferences. In your opinion, A, journalist, B, fan, is this good for the sport? Is this is this taking college football to a good place in your opinion? <clears throat> fan, no. I mean, as a fan, NIL is not good. As a fan, realignment was horrible the first time. Really, really horrible. Um, it, not fun it, as a fan. You know, you, you wanted to see Nebraska stay in that conference. You wanted to see the rivalries of Texas A&M and Arkansas and those teams, you know, Texas and Texas Tech. You wanted, I mean, not Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M and Texas. You wanted to see those things continue. Um, you want to see the Rose Bowl with the Pac-12 versus the Big Ten. You, you want to see that. Um, so as a fan with NIL, you don't want to see this. You don't want to hear all these rumors about kids, you know, choosing a school for money and doing this, that and the other, you know. But as a journalist, I mean, this is inevitable. This is where we're headed. Um, you know, people I remember seven, eight years ago, people thought the biggest problem in college football, at least in my world, was decommitments. What do we do about decommitments? You know, nobody cares about that now. You know, with the portal, there's no loyalty um, decommitments aren't even a thought in anybody's mind as far as outrage is concerned. Now players are going to get cut. Um, we got bigger problems now, and we've got these seismic shifts, and they're all occurring at once. If NIL came along, you know, prior to the portal, and then the portal came along a few years later, and then realignment came along a few years later, you'd maybe be able to handle that or whatever order we're talking about here. But to have it all come down, I mean, we're on the one-year anniversary of yep. NIL, Right. And, you know, now we're talking and we're essentially, you know, two years into the portal. And now we're talking about conference realignment. Those three things tip everything in college football that you've ever known 
we could be heading towards a professionalization of college football. We could be talking about some sort of potential as a minor league feeder system to the NFL. Um, somebody mentioned the AFC versus the NFC model for college football. All of this is coming and it's necessary uh, because money will always dictate everything. You know, we don't do things for free. Uh, nobody does. And, you know, it's not greed. It's just if you have an opportunity to expand your business, then you do it. I mean, it, not doing it could lead to you going out of business. So as a journalist, this is necessary. As a fan, it sucks. I mean, nobody likes this. There's obviously talk about even splitting away from the NCAA. You see that as an option on the table at some point as well? It's got to happen. I mean, you know, the NCAA can't govern all of this, and, and they're not the – they're not the, the, the entity to handle professionalization of college football. And that's what we are. We're in professionalization. I guess we've been there for a while. You know, the first realignment you could argue was professionalization, but now players are getting paid. Um, it, it's just a different world now in the NCAA. You're going to have to have a governing body that is, you know, obviously run and, and reports to presidents and chancellors and all that other stuff. Uh, in some way, but also oversees them and can vote them out. It's like when I was a kid, I was confused how a CEO of a company could be voted out by the board of trustees. It made no sense to me. I mean, that guy was in charge. And then sometimes the CEO of the company was the guy who started the company. Sure. How, could, how could he ever put himself in a position where he could be voted out? But that's, you have to have checks and balances. And the NCAA is not a check or balance. We are talking on July 2nd, Mike. Seven days from now, July 9th. How much clarity do you think we'll have? Do you think we'll have the other dominoes have fallen in the next seven days? What's the what's the timeline that you think we'll start to really understand maybe what next steps look like or other responses? I think we'll hear about Notre Dame in the next seven days. Um, you know, whether it's rumors or, or fact, I, I don't think they're the type of program that lets things fester and, and, and you know, they're so arrogant that they're going to come out and make a statement about something. Um, I don't know if we'll have any information about Oregon or Washington or anything like that. We'll hear a lot of rumors, but I don't think we'll have any clarity on any of this stuff um, probably for a few months. Um, but right now, I will tell you, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC, we were having the same discussion, like, what's next? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And then it simmered down and settled down and people stopped looking at it. Then USC and UCLA come out of the blue to a lot of people. Now it's everybody's panicking. All phone calls are made. It'll settle and simmer. And then the next shoe will drop, but it probably won't be for maybe a month or two. It's crazy that USC and UCLA will play in the Big Ten before Texas and Oklahoma will play in the SEC as it stands right now. As it stands right now. I mean, obviously that right there with the 2024 date is, is you know, Texas and Oklahoma are both talking to the SEC and, and they don't care how much money it takes. They're not going to let the Big Ten make this big splash of 2024 while they wait till 2025. So I would assume there's going to be some talk. And just like, you know, the, the programs heading into the Big 12 were supposed to wait. Well, they got it done. Now they're coming in in 2023. I, I would tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC by 2024. 
Well, here's what I can tell you. There's a lot of moving parts with this stuff, but Mike is going to keep it real with you. He's not going to give you any nonsense. So there's a lot of reporters that are sourcing things that are probably tied in, have some other things. Mike's going to keep it really real, give it to you straight. Find all his stuff on MikeFarrellSports.com or follow him on Twitter at MFarrellSports. He will keep you as updated as he can. He's only going to pass along stuff he thinks you need to know, things that he's hearing. He's not going to feed you with a bunch of a bunch of crap that uh, that doesn't make sense. So Mike is a Mike's going to be a good follow through this process. So so keep him uh, keep him plugged in, Mike. But Speaking of MikeFarrellSports.com, you had an article this week that that caught some attention. And it was around sleeping giants that potentially are laying dormant or laying out there that could really take over the landscape of college football or college athletics. Now, to be fair to you, this came out prior to any of this alignment stuff, right? So there may be some changes there, too. But t- tell me a little bit more about how you went about selecting the schools that kind of fell on your sleeping giants list and the schools that you kind of selected, the criteria that you looked at when you thought about what these programs were and how you were going to define them combination of you know obviously a few of these are moving you know smu's not i had smu in there but ucf houston um moving into the big 12 that was one of it um the support of the university from an athletic standpoint how 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 um is everybody moving in the right direction in the same direction uh and you know the support of the fan base uh is this a, a program where the fan base is growing um, or is this a program where the fan base is stagnant? Um, and, you know, the two that really came to mind for me, and I had this sort of argument with Rick Neuheisel on a full ride this week, UCF came to mind to me, right? That's the first one. They're in the state of Florida. They've got a huge alumni base. Uh, it's a huge school, and the fans are nuts. That national title, which they didn't win, no offense, they didn't win a national title. I know. I hate to break. Well, they didn't win the game. I mean, whatever. They didn't win a national title. Okay. They could put up all the flags and trophies they want, but they didn't. But that really set this thing off, right? Brought it to the next level. Um, And and just everything falling into place for them as these teams in Florida seem to just shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, Florida State with bad hires, Florida – with their ridiculous expectations of a head coach. I mean, Billy Napier is already under scrutiny. He hasn't even coached a game. You know, he's, and already, he's, he's, he's releasing statements to calm the fan base, Mike, before he's taking the sidelines. Right. And that's just like Texas last year with a with a you know a show of support by the athletic director to Steve Sarkeesian, who was in his first year. It's just this type of stuff with these impatient programs is what kills you. And then Miami, I believe they're going to be successful with Mario Cristobal. I think he's the perfect fit for them. What if they aren't? You can't get a better hire than this. So with those three programs, you know, under a little bit of pressure, UCF's got Gus. Gus is like, you know, Gus isn't the best coach in the world, but he's not certainly not the worst coach in the world. And he's been through the SEC wars and he had to live in a state where he was number two. Um, and he's just in a better place. And their roster has a ton of talent. They're hitting it well in the transfer portal. They're heading to the Big 12. I just think that, that if there's a program out there that could – legitimately become Clemson next. It's UCF. But, you know, Neuheisel said Houston, you know, and the main reason was Tillman Fertitta, who's worth, uh, I'm looking it up right now, $5.6 billion. Okay, that seems so like a lot. Seems he, like a lot. the Boone Pickens of the world who is willing to put as much money as possible into the University of Houston and get them to do things that 
that need to be done. I mean, that's the reason Tom Herman was hired there. Um, it's almost the reason Tom Herman didn't take the Texas job. Um, it's the reason Houston's in the Big 12. I mean, Tillman Fertitta is <clears throat> as big an influence. Uh, he's bigger than Phil Knight. He, he's bigger than Under Armour with Maryland. I mean, he's just – he will do whatever it takes, and he's got more money than he knows what to do with. So um, it's the funny part about it is he went to the universities. Houston, he was a dropout, but he has such a love for his city and uh, the University of Houston that, you know, he's willing to do whatever. And so that's now they have a good recruiting base. Um, you know, Houston has a lot of talent. Um, they've got a talented team. Um, you know, they're, they're moving to a power five conference like UCF. His points were more about money than mine were about you know, the, the fans and, and the excitement surrounding UCF and the state of Florida uh, college football. But he makes a point, too. The state of Texas isn't killing it either. And Baylor was good. You know, TCU's fallen off. Texas is a, a nightmare and been a joke. And Texas A&M hasn't won anything. So those are the two that stood out to me the most. Yeah, I mean, no, no, uh, I'm not trying to hide anything. I, I make my my spare time walk, uh, watching and covering UCF as well. I can, I can tell you two things. One, Houston has a has a cakewalk schedule this year in the AAC. If there's a, if there's a program that can get from that group of five ceiling into the playoff, Houston has a really easy schedule. They don't play Cincinnati or UCF in the AAC, so they've got a really good path forward there, and they have a boatload of money. UCF does not have that kind of money coming their way too, so there's definitely a financial advantage there. But I'm curious. You mentioned a school like SMU. There's also a school like a Memphis, right? There's these group of five schools that are kind of laying and, 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 and hoping and maybe waiting San Diego State's another one you think about Fresno State. How does this realignment thing work for schools like that, that an SMU that you've got on your sort of sleeping giants list? Does this make it harder for them to get an opportunity? Does, does this ease the path for them? Where, where those schools who are like in an ultimate purgatory right now with, with all the realignment stuff, even though they may be sleeping giants? Yeah, they're, they're, they're in more trouble. Um, you know, then the Houston's and UCF's of the world that have a new home that are heading to a new home that is still power five. Um, you know, Memphis, uh, SMU, as you mentioned, San Diego State, Fresno State, those are all great programs. Um, they're always going to be a problem. Nobody wants to schedule them. But I don't think any of them are really in a position right now as we're paring down college football to survive and again, as I was talking about before, there's going to be an opportunity for these smaller programs to play into a playoff. Uh, but for them to join a conference now, it's going to be virtually impossible. Um, and it's it's great for you know BYU and UCF and Cincinnati and, and Houston that they are already in and joining. Um, because right now, if they weren't, there's no way anybody would let them in either. Um, because there's just not going to be a power five program and it's not going to be a power five. It's going to be a power two and there's not going to be room for them, even though, you know, Dallas is a metropolis. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. great, great location. Uh, San Diego is a nice location. Um, you know, Memphis and Fresno are smaller cities, but um, you know, still programs that have had success. There's just not a place for them right now. Um, and so I think they're going to have to be those teams that potentially play in, um, and, and, you know, out of these four, you know, a couple of them aren't going to make it out of UCF, Cincinnati, Houston and, and, and BYU. I mean, I can't see all four of them surviving these cuts um, you know, right now. If I had to guess, it would be UCF and Houston that would survive, you know, based on the, the factors I mentioned. Um, but you just don't know. 
I mean, Ohio State could jump up and down wanting an in-state rival, right? Michigan's got one with Michigan State. You know, Pitt could join. <laughs> they could join the Big Ten, and, and then Penn State's got an in-state rival. Iowa State could join, and Iowa's – we want one. Well, whatever Ohio State wants, the Big Ten's going to do, and if they stand up on the table and say Cincinnati's coming with us, Cincinnati's going with them. So that's the one thing they've got going for them there. BYU really doesn't have anything unless Utah joins someplace, um, you know, because that holy war would be great. But I think those two, UCF and Houston, are in good position, but the rest are not. Well, it's interesting. Obviously, we're on Sleeping Giants, but realignment talk, you know, kind of continues here. Do you see a scenario where an existing school gets kind of left out? And I'll throw school names out here, and this is these are just guesses on my part. I have no insight info. Like a Vanderbilt. Do you see scenarios where schools like that that haven't really competed? Kansas is interesting in the in the in the Big Twelve because obviously they're not a football school at all, but they're a huge basketball brand, right? Yeah. Do they transition to a you know? A big East, you know, from a basketball standpoint with a Kansas and, and, the, and the basketball prowess they have would be a really dominant basketball conference. Do you see a scenario where some of these schools that are in there get maybe the old, you know, European soccer relegation to something else? You know, I'm Vanderbilt's in the SEC. Uh, they provide, you know, the ecosystem of the SEC. Um, they, they are part of it. You know, they're the, an academic part of it, um, you know, geographical part of it. So they're, they're probably okay. Uh, Kansas, I would I, I wouldn't worry too much about because of the basketball. It's the Kansas State programs, mm-hmm. West Virginia, that just aren't loaded in football or basketball, aren't in metropolis areas, aren't really traditionally football powers, and and you know those are the teams that I would worry about if if you're talking about programs that could be left out, you know, Oregon State and Washington State, I'd be worried about if I were them as well, um, because they just don't bring a lot to the table. You know, Pullman, Washington is not going to really move a lot of needles, uh, you know, for a, a, a conference that wants to grow. Um, same thing with Morgantown, West Virginia. I mean, Morgantown was almost left out of the first Power Five shuffle, um, you know, and, and the Little Apple is great, but those are the, the programs that I would worry about. And to a lesser extent, Iowa State, because they've got Iowa, you know, I mean, they could be saved by Iowa, um, you know, but they they should be worried too as well. I think those middle of the country teams and throw West Virginia in there are the ones to worry the most. Do you see a scenario where um... – you get reunion tours in Nebraska, Colorado, back to the Big 12. Obviously, there are a lot of hurt feelings when they left initially. Do you see yeah. a, a a Jethro Toll reunion tour situation taking place there? Not with Nebraska. I mean, there's just too much money. Nebraska, listen, Nebraska fans hate being in the Big Ten. Nebraska is mm. not happy with going to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is not happy with Nebraska. You know, they, they don't. They didn't fit their academics. They didn't fit all of the – They're AAU. the only non-AAU school in there right, right. now. They didn't fit any of that, right? But it was a money grab. They have a – amazing fan base and they've got you know tremendous tradition and it was a, another step in contiguous states and it 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 is a nice bridge to colorado colorado's in the pac 12 going to the big 12 probably not a huge difference they might but nebraska never even fans that wish they would get out of the big 10 understand and know you know when scott frost came out in 2020 and said we should play and everybody said nebraska shut up you're irrelevant and, and the Big Ten treated them like garbage, they they had to take it. 
there was no choice. Then Ohio State comes out and let's say, let's play. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Ryan Day, I love you. Yes, yes, let's play. <laughs> you know, Gene Smith, oh, you're the best. Let's play. They treat Nebraska like garbage. Nebraska has been garbage in the Big Ten. But money, they cannot ever, ever take a step back. So they're they're in there. All right, let's. Uh, we've had a lot of off the field talk, Mike. Let's have some on the field conversation. Another another list this week uh, that you can find at MikeFarrellSports.com or on social media at MFarrellSports. These are your top wide receivers, uh, Mike, and I'll throw it up on screen for those here watching on uh, on the YouTube page. Here, uh, you've got your top fifty wide receivers here, uh, ranked one uh, to fifty. Uh, 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 Ohio State obviously features very prominently on the top of your list. Take me through the eval process as you kind of broke down what. I guess, what's the criteria as you think about ranking these receivers? What were the factors you were looking into as you put this list together? Yeah, and there is one wide receiver on this list that people have been asked about the most, which is Milton Wright at 43, because he's he's been ruled academically ineligible, according to sources at Purdue. He's not in the transfer portal, though. So I put him on here because I just don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, I have, I've heard people say that he's been booted off the team and you know he's not going to be at Purdue, but why isn't he in the portal? Um, everybody's in the portal. I mean, I'm probably in the portal. So I, I put him on there and people are saying, oh, your list sucks because he's on there. Well, no, it's just for now, until he finds a home or decides to go Juco or something like that, he's good enough to be on this list. But what went into it was a whole lot of looks and research. And, you know, obviously a lot of these kids are, uh, I've watched through the years, but some of them I'm not as familiar as others. Um, so I had to go in and, and watch, you know, Tyrese Chambers at FIU a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. And this is good preparation for the NFL draft, which I cover as well. So this was like this was a project I decided to take on when I started the quarterbacks and running backs. And I, I felt it would be good for me to do this in the summer because it gets me more familiar with a lot of these guys who will be, you know, NFL players. And some of them aren't even eligible to be NFL player. I mean, Xavier Worthy's heading into his second year. Um, he's not NFL eligible till the 2024 draft, but um, it was easy to me at one through four. And you could okay. change the order. You know, you could go Addison first if you wanted to, or, you know, a lot of people thought Xavier Worthy should be ahead of Keishon Boutte because he was hurt last year. Um, it was five down that was very, very difficult. And then getting into 26 through 50, because I wanted to make sure, you know, Ronnie Bell at Michigan was another one that everybody was like complaining about. And his last really good year was 2020. And it was an okay year. And he had one catch for 76 yards last year and a touchdown. Um, you know, he was injured. So he's not on here. But everybody complained about that. Taj Washington, now that they've, you know, Gary Bryant Jr. is at USC, Jordan Addison's there, they think he's going to be dropping down the depth chart. I looked at his production last year um, and did a lot of research into what his role would be. Um, and then it's hard to like take a guy like that and compare him to a Marvin Harrison Jr. who hasn't broken out yet, but will because he's going to be amazing and leave an Emeka Egbuka from Ohio State off this list and then put an Aaron Anderson who hasn't played it down at college football at 30 or Luther Burden at 47 who hasn't played and leaving an Adane Mitchell off, which Georgia fans went absolutely nuts about. Um, it's it's a nightmare, but it's very educational for me, and that's kind of why I'm doing it more than anything else. Let's talk about Jordan Addison. Obviously, transfers from Pitt to USC. 
uh, high expectations for him. Do you expect him, his play, his, his numbers to elevate at USC? Do you expect him to stay stagnant or would you be surprised if he had maybe less, you know, less from a numerical perspective this season? Yeah. So this is a great question. It's something that I'm getting into more, um, which is the, the props, right? Sure, he had 1,593 sure. yards receiving and 17 touchdowns, a hundred catches last season. Yep. So I put out a tweet. Will he 15 is the over under for touchdowns for me, for Jordan Addison at USC. Um, you know, he's going to be with Caleb Williams, who isn't as good a natural passer as Kenny Pickett and runs more. Uh, he's going to have more uh, competition for catches, even though I, I do have Jared Wayne here at 46, who's a very good wide receiver that was overshadowed last year. I don't see how he can improve his numbers, but I think if his numbers drop, I think that's okay for USC. I think that's fine. Uh, but I don't see 17 touchdowns. I don't see under, 100 yeah. catches. But I do I do believe that he's still, you know, right up there as far as a top potential top 15 NFL draft pick and a guy that's going to put up big numbers out there. But to say he's going to reach what he reached last year, I don't think he could do that at Pitt, and I certainly don't think he could do that at USC. How much did you factor quarterback play into this? Obviously, number three, Keshawn Boutte at LSU. Their quarterback situation, you know, isn't as solid as obviously the top two and some of the other programs you have down here. How much does the quarterback factor in when you make this list? It, it does. Um, I tried to go based on, again, just like the other lists, a combination of ceiling, uh, ability, uh, NFL draft. You know, I, I know a lot of scouts. I talk to a lot of scouts, you know, um, and, and you know, that's what's difficult about him because he didn't play a full season. So you could you could say, you know, you can't really compare him to Ronnie Bell, but you could say that, you know, listen, his season was huh, cut short. How can he have him at number three? And they don't even have a starting quarterback there. And quarterback play at LSU hasn't been good since Joe Burrow. Um, it comes into play. But if you look at a lot of these guys, I mean, Ohio State and USC have locked in quarterbacks. There's question marks at LSU. There's question marks at Texas, TCU, North Carolina. Um, you've got question marks at a lot of these different schools. So if I went solely based on quarterback play, you'd see Boutte much lower, you know, and maybe a guy like A.T. Perry at number three. Um, I, I really balanced it, but I didn't want to punish anybody for having a crap quarterback. You've got two Penn State guys back-to-back 15 and 16. I think that's the only school, if I'm looking at this graphic correctly, that you have two receivers in that top 16. Is, is that, does that mean that – you think they have the best receiving core overall or, or, or obviously Ohio state is obviously much deeper than Penn state. No, um, Ohio state will be deeper. And, and Tinsley's, you know, he's from coming over from Western Kentucky, put up huge numbers there. So the transition, you know, from there to Penn state will be different. And obviously they throw the ball a lot less at Penn state and Sean Clifford's a big question mark there. And, you know, Parker Washington, you know, stepping into the Jahan Dotson role as the number one guy, um, but I love Tinsley. Now, does that make them the best one-two combination? Right now, yes, to me, based on production. Now, you could say, you know, Smith and Jigba, um, and of course, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., and the depth at Ohio State is ridiculous. Um, you could also make an argument for Maryland. You know, Rakim Jarrett, uh, Dante Demas. I mean, Dante Demas got hurt last year, but he's, he's a top 10 wide receiver if he's healthy. Um, you know, they've got Jacob Copeland as well. They're pretty deep there, wide receiver. Um, you could make a case if you wanted to for USC with Addison and, and Mario Williams, but neither of them have ever played a down football in a USC uniform. So uh, the interesting part about this is 
we're going to wait and see. You know, we don't know what we're getting with Tinsley. We do know with Parker Washington. He's going to step up. Um, but I think Tinsley's a guy, you know, if you look at the transfers here, right, Addison is your first one. Um, but he is one of the top transfers in the country. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't talk about him because the Penn State offense isn't really exciting. Um, Sean Clifford could have a really sneaky, surprisingly good year with these wide receivers. Give me a name or two, 26 to 50, maybe a receiver folks don't know about, maybe under the radar guy that you really like. Somebody 20, 26 through 50. Katon Thompson at Virginia was a quarterback who, you know, switched over to wide receiver at a very, very good year last season. Um, they have a extremely potent offense. And with uh, Tony Elliott coming over from Clemson, you're going to see Dontavian Wicks and Thompson, you know, put up similar numbers that they did last year. And that's going to be a really scary team to play. Uh, Tyrese Chambers at FIU, I absolutely love. Um, I think Jalen Cropper with Jay Kaner as his quarterback at 32. I mean, he could end up being top 15. He's going to put up some crazy, crazy numbers. And I'm very, very curious to see how, um, you know, Tavian Robinson does at Kentucky because Will Levis needs targets. Wondell Robinson's gone. Tavion, Tavion comes in and he's going to be their number one guy. Jaden Hasselwood's intriguing to me as well. Um, and Aeneas Smith, Texas A&M, could be very, very low on this list. Uh, you know, he could be a guy that moves way up. Um, you know, and Nick Mardner, nobody knows who that is, right? But he's coming over from Hawaii to Cincinnati. They lost their quarterback. They lost, you know, they're, they're not going to be a playoff contender this year. Everybody assumes he's going to put up some some pretty impressive numbers at Cincinnati as well. Again, you can find all of Mike's list on social media at M Farrell Sports. That's Twitter, and that's also on Instagram. The quarterback one went viral for some reason on Instagram. I don't know why. Is that right? It's over 3 million views. The reel. We did a reel, and it was just me being annoying, talking over it, saying – consume the list and, and something about that. It was like six seconds and it somehow went viral. And I don't know how that works, but 3 million is ridiculous. Um, so I'm kind of hoping the, the running back at a wide receiver one will hit that algorithm. I don't think it will, but the wide receiver one is still on my Twitter at the top. There's still a lot of people complaining about it. I'm going to pop it out again on Monday, uh, follow some people who have educated comments because um, that's another thing that I'm doing. I think I think that other people aren't. I'm following fans and and sort sure. of interacting with fans, and they could DM me if they want, and all this other stuff. Um, so you know, maybe maybe the wide receiver one hits some algorithm, but that's the that's the that's the most viral thing I've ever had in my life of all my career was the quarterback fifty list. So people are paying attention to it at least. And then really quick, Mike, maybe this guy's name will break on that list uh, next season. Uh, Arch Manning to Texas became official this past week. Again, if you listen to us talk about it the other week, you were you were strongly leaning in that direction, strongly hinting that was the way that was this was going to work out. Yeah. So surprise, surprise, Mike Farrell nails it again. What are your thoughts on this now that it's official? Any Anything surprising? What have you heard since uh, Arch made that official announcement? Well, I mean, they've got double-digit commitments since. Uh, including a few five stars and two very, very good wide receivers, four offensive linemen. I mean, this is this is how it works. Arch Manning and te Texas is now extremely, extremely dangerous in recruiting now because of one name. And Sark has got it rolling uh, and they are involved with players that they weren't really involved with before. So Texas recruiting has a chance to finish top five for sure, maybe top three. 
Um, and Arch Manning will be the, the guy who really helps them take the next step in recruiting. Now, you know, doesn't matter if they don't win on the football field and if Sark's in trouble, Arch could decommit and everything could fall apart. They got to play close with Alabama, and they I really think they, sh- they have to upset Oklahoma if they're going to keep this momentum going. But that's the season's a long way away still. Well, not that far. Um, but right now, the offseason win in recruiting was Arch Manning. Uh, you're not the godfather for, for nothing, Mike. Obviously, you've been hinting strongly, so if people listen to you or follow you, this was not surprising. One other story I want to get your uh, your thoughts on. I saw you tweeting about this during the week. There was a rumor going around that uh, a $9 million NIL deal, t- NIL deal took place to get a quarterback to Miami. You were, you were strongly in the camp of, somebody show me the paperwork for I believe this. What, what are your overall comments and thoughts as a lot of these 9, 10, again, allegedly he turned down $11 million to go to the Florida Gators or whatnot, right? All this stuff seems like you know monopoly money you're very skeptical of these kind of reports yes yeah it's garbage i mean i talked to a lot of people uh heading into that deal i talked to a lot of people about um you know the tennessee quarterback in his eight million dollar deal i talked to so many people that are in the know here um and and i'm talking about people close to the situation in miami and talking about people close to the situation in florida um with this 11 million and this 9.5 million you know the lawyer came out and spoke about you know turning down two million dollars more or whatever from florida first of all the lawyer should shut up he had to backtrack the kid had to put out a uh tweet saying you know all this talk of money is not true uh this story that was run wasn't vetted properly so now you know that particular journalist has probably lost a lot of credibility and trust NIL is so scary to people. Um, I think that I think Miami is going to be investigated because of this. Um, you well, know, again, right? They've already had somebody go down and talk to John Ruiz and then the Life yeah. Wallet team. So this would be a second inquiry at this yeah. point, no? Yeah, and, and and it's retroactive too. So I mean, they're going to dig into everything that Miami did last year before Cristobal arrived. And I'm I'm just saying what it does is it causes more problems than anything else. I mean. You know, we saw the the video this week of the Texas A&M coach talking to recruits and saying, you know, the people yeah. in those tweets are going to make you a lot of money. Yeah, that's the way it works. That's a pitch, right? Jimbo was not saying that Nick Saban was wrong. He, he, he approached it wrong because Jimbo approaches everything wrong. But what, what Saban was saying was that he was buying recruits, you know, and that's illegal. That can't be done. So I think you're going to see investigations at Texas a and I think you're going to see investigations at Miami. I think you're going to see investigations at any program where these dummies come out and say stuff that they shouldn't say. Uh, I guarantee you there's going to be some sort of investigation into that $8 million number at Tennessee. Um, I don't know. I do know this. The schools are not stupid. The Jordan Addison thing, you remember him, there was some sort of multi-million dollar deal. I spoke to people very, very close to that situation. They're like, you think Lincoln Riley is an idiot? You think he's stupid? Do you think Mario Cristobal is a moron? Like these are not stupid people. They're not going to let boosters pay millions of dollars to these kids to go to their school. It's their job to keep them under control um, because they're going to be the ones that are slammed if this does happen. But these these numbers are ridiculous. They're made up. They're garbage. I'm sure he's got some, you know laid out plan for him, some PowerPoint presentation. You know, Rashada got a PowerPoint presentation at Florida, how NIL works. He got one at Miami, how NIL works. I'm sure he got one at Ole Miss where he was looking and his brother recruited, committed there. 
they present it, they talk about it. They certainly point to suites and say, and you can make a lot of money back there, but they don't have it set up like that. It's just not true. Um, and it's going to lead to a lot of problems mm -hmm. if you trust the wrong people. And I don't know who to trust in NIL. I really haven't found anybody that I trust. I don't trust anybody in anything. Um, but, you know, it's a disservice to the kids and the coaches when you come out and say stuff like this, that, you know, Florida's collective is horrible and you turn down $2 million more for them. That's not true. Let's uh, close up shop with uh, my new favorite part of our show, Mike. This oh, is the Ask Mike segment. Again, I don't have any questions from the audience, so I've got my own questions I was asking. So I got three that I'm going to hit you with. So number one, while all this college football and college realignment stuff is breaking, Kevin Durant decided <laughs> to demand a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Mike, A, your thoughts on Durant, and B, where does he go? Where do you want to see Kevin Durant next year? I do not want to see him see him go to the Celtics. I'm a Celtics fan. I can't okay. stand Kevin Durant. I used to like him when he was at Texas. I don't like him now. Um, he's he's lost his mind. He called himself a god last week too. He did, yeah, yeah. So he's a lunatic. Whoever gets him, they're not going to win. Um, I think he's a propped up superstar who's very talented, but he's a guy that's not going to uh, you know be successful at this point in his career anymore. Um, I don't know where he lands. Uh, I'm going to say Lakers just because. Hmm. And look, anybody who attaches themselves to Kyrie Irving seriously needs to have some some sort of in, in, internal conversation about where they're going. Rumor is they want to go back together again. Who the heck knows Good. what that means? But Good. the NBA, you know, you think college football is messed up. The NBA, every every week there's new salaries, new well, I root against guys both of them. contract. I hope they stay together and I hope they suck. <laughs> All right, 4th of July weekend is coming up, Mike. If you're going to plan your perfect 4th of July barbecue, what are the what do we need at the Mike Farrell barbecue? What's the food choice? What's the beverage choice? What do we need? You just need beer, hot dogs, and cheeseburgers. That's it. That's nothing all we fancy. Need. I don't need potato salad. I don't want flies flying around. I don't need any of that garbage. I don't need vegetables. There's no need for vegetables. It's yeah, it's, it's hot dogs, cheeseburgers. Uh, you could you could throw some beans at me if you want. I'll eat those. Um, but uh, beer, and that's it. What What's the burger topping? Just cheese? Are you going bacon? Are we going onion straws? What we got? No, I'm not going crazy. Uh, you know, okay. it, it, at a restaurant, I'll order that, but not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna grill a burger and bacon and all. No, no, no. Just cheese and uh, you know a burger. That's it. Or 58 burgers. <laughs> Here's my final one. I, I do another show, Mike, and and we had a, a chance to talk to somebody who is uh, who, who uh, covers Kansas State, and we were getting the lowdown of Kansas State in Manhattan, and he shared with me that there is a uh, sort of a student tradition of a drink near Kansas State. It's called the Nancy. It is a old Milwaukee draft beer with a spritz of pineapple juice. I drink could it. I get? Can I get Mike Farrell to drink the Nancy? I would drink it absolutely. Anything with pineapple juice. Anybody who knows me, I'm addicted to that that level of sugar. So I'll, I'll mix anything with pineapple juice, uh, short of urine, you know, but I will drink yeah, old Milwaukee similar to urine, but I will drink it's old Milwaukee yeah. um, with, with pineapple juice any day of the week. Absolutely. Anything with pineapple juice. Well then Mike, cause I'm a, a credible journalist, you know, capital J on this one. I followed up on this and I learned that the old Milwaukee no longer comes in a keg form. So the bars there have now switched to Bush light. So now the combo is Bush light plus pineapple juice. Are you still in on the Nancy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter what beer it is. I'm a Bud Light guy, so simple watery beer is fine for me. Um, but yeah, Old Milwaukee used to drink that in college back in sure. the day when they did have kegs. I, I didn't mind it. 
Um, yeah. We used to call it. We used to call it old piss. That's what we used to call it. Legitimately old piss um, because that's what it tastes like. But with pineapple juice, it'll be fine. Well, apparently it's it's big near Manhattan, Kansas. So if you find yourself there this uh, this season, been you there. can stop in and grab one. Who knew? Been there once. Didn't really. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, he I, didn't tell me on. on you go there for a game. You can't go there for a night. No, I would. Yeah, I would not go there for any sort of leisure activity. It would have to be some sort of football related you know, situation. It was a camp. Sure. Still, it sucked. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, luckily this show uh, did not suck, Mike. We covered a lot of ground. Obviously, realignment. We talked about receivers, sleeping giants, some NIL stuff, Arch Manning, and and this is just a a multitude of things you can find on Mike MikeFarrellSports.com. Again, if you're not following Mike on social media stuff, M Farrell Sports, you heard his Instagram is blown up, so you might want to get in there now before, yeah, I don't know, somebody shuts it down before like Zuckerberg realizes that he's breaking the algorithm. So you might want to get into his uh, his Instagram now. It really is. And so is the Twitter. Twitter's doing well too, but Instagram for some reason, usually when I see those reels that have over a million, it's, it's, you know, a, a gorgeous girl or a shark eating somebody. And then I, I actually went on Facebook and I was scrolling down on my personal Facebook and it showed my reel at 1.1 million. And I thought there was something wrong and now it's over two. So that was exciting. That was, that made my week last week. Well, again, Mike's going to build something out here really special at MikeFarrellSports.com, so make sure you get in there now. A lot of people will tell you a lot of things. Mike is going to keep it real with you. He's going to give you the right, the straight information. He's not going to sugarcoat stuff. Although he likes sugar, he drinks apparently. He's not going to sugarcoat your information, so make sure you follow him on all the social media stuff. Make sure you're you're keeping tabs on MikeFarrellSports.com, and make sure you're subscribing to the podcast feature at the, at the Believe Podcast Network. Michael throw shows up here every now and again. Make sure that you are uh, you're subscribed, so you don't have to even worry about finding those. We'll, uh, we'll we'll try to get the content out. It's the we thought it was the dead season, Mike. We thought it was the quiet season. All of a sudden, before you know, it, man, there's more to talk about than you expected. Yeah, and that's good. It's always good for college football. There'll be something next week too. Uh, that'll that'll be. Listen, we gotta have stuff to talk about. We do. If not, there would be no reason for us to be on the show. But luckily, we have something this weekend. Maybe we'll have something for you next week. Again, tune in. Uh, MikeFarrellSports.com is where you can find our info. And uh, we will probably chat at you sometime next week. Until then, Mike, we'll uh, we'll catch you around the, around the way. Mike, thanks a lot for your time, as always. And uh, everybody, be good to each other. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.